see him now? Can you see him now? Can you see him now? Can you see him now? So, how was your test? Um, actually, I just got it back today. I guess the teacher just finished grading them. Um, and I, I, I mean, I didn't do so well, but I, I found out that these other kids in my class um, who cheated ended up doing really well. I mean, that's just not fair. No way, that's not fair. It's not fair at all. I studied so hard. I really studied for this test, and I'm so bummed I didn't do well. How are your finals going? My finals are going really, really well, thank God. Um, I just took my, my geometry final, and I ended up doing really, really well. A lot better than I was doing, you know, on my earlier exams, and I, you know, I prayed about it. And you know what, I, I decided that I needed to put God first and not worry about anyone else. Um, and you know, I just, I, I really put God first on this and I did really, really well. That's great. Yeah, thank God. Can you see him now? I can. Maybe not on. Test. Test. Can you hear me? No? Test. One, two, three. Sorry. Just push all the buttons at the same time. <laughs> Sorry. We'll get it working. We'll get it working. Good? There we go. All right. Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to week four and the finale in our Can You See Him Now series, a series where we are looking at different aspects of God and the different characteristics of God that are always there in our lives, but so often we just can't see it. And we agreed in the very beginning of this series that God is who he is. And if we can't see him for who he is, and we have misperceptions about who he is, and if he's acting in our lives, but we just can't see it, and we saw with his sovereignty and with his love how it's always there, but we can't see his sovereignty at times, we can't see his love at times, this is going to put a, a big, be a big problem in terms of us relating with God if we don't understand who he is. The very beginning of this series, I said that the two most important questions in life are, what do you see when you look at God? Like, who is God to you? And the number two is, what do you think God sees when he looks at you? And if either one of those questions, if you got the wrong answer to, you're going to be in trouble in life. Today, we're going to look at probably the most difficult aspect to see of God. We're going to look at God's justice and the fairness of God. And we're going to answer the question, is God fair, is God not fair? Before we get into that question. True story. A man named Edwin. Story of a man named Edwin who was married and had three kids. Normal guy. Nothing extraordinary about the guy. Uh, you know, graduated, whatever, in his class. Had a good job at a finance company or whatever it was. Got married to his high school sweetheart. And eventually they started having kids. And they had, at this time when the story takes place, they had two kids. Uh, like uh, age 10 and 8, and then like a newborn who was just born to them recently. Edwin was one of the most beloved members of his community. Everyone at work loved him. Everyone at church loved him. He was always volunteering to help out. Edwin was one of the most loving people on the planet. His wife had just got diagnosed with a sickness. They didn't know what the sickness was. It was kind of a mystery illness at the time. But Edwin was so loving and so caring and took care of her and take care of that family Everyone around knew that Edwin was like the most, the best guy in the whole wide world. No one ever said anything bad about Edwin. Story goes, one fall morning, Edwin wakes up as his usual time, 
wrestles himself out of bed, gets himself dressed and ready for work. His wife is feeling a little bit tired, so he does the extra work of getting the kids out of bed and getting them scurried off and rushed out just in time to, hit the, to make it to the bus stop before the bus leaves. And then he comes home and, and rushes to have a quick breakfast and kisses his wife goodbye and promises that he is going to rush home today after work because she has a big doctor's appointment today and he wants to be there with her when she goes. So he's going to do his best to get his work done as quickly as he can, be home early because he's a loving husband as we all are. He gets to work, does his normal routine, stops by the Starbucks, grabs his latte, whatever it may be, goes up to the 24th floor of the building where he works at, checks his email, says hi to his coworkers, and gets ready to begin his day at work. And then an American Airlines flight going from Boston to Los Angeles crashed into that building and killed Edwin and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people that day. And at home, there is a wife who's now a widow in her illness who's asking the same question that people all over the world ask every single day. Whoops. Which is, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why God? Last week, we talked about how God is sovereign and how God is in control. And last week, we talked about why there is bad things in the world. And we agreed that there's bad things, not because God is bad, but because God is so loving and so kind and he respects us so much that he gives us free will and we use that free will to make bad choices. And just like I said, those people crashed that plane into a building where well, it's not God's fault. That's people's fault. People made that decision. But that's not my question for today. I answered that last week. Why is there bad? That was last week. I'm saying, like we said last week, that God, no matter what bad, uses the bad to make good. All things work together for good to those who love God. Well, I'm saying today is, how does God choose who to let the bad things happen to to make good out of their lives? Like, there are many people in this building today, and many of them were bad people. Why not run into their floor? Why run into my floor? Why this lady who did nothing wrong, and this family who did nothing wrong, is now left in a very tough situation? Widow, ill, infant, she's a stay-at-home mom. Why me? What did I do to deserve this? And the story doesn't end on 9-11. I mean, every single day of the year. You go to all those school shootings. All right, you go back to the original one. Go back to Columbine. Go to Sandy Hook Elementary. Go to the, the people who are just going to watch a Batman movie. Just going to watch a movie in a the movie theater. What did they do? Anything wrong? They didn't do anything wrong. Just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I could accept wrong place at the wrong time before last week. But last week we said, who is he who speaks? And it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it. And last week we said how God is sovereign. And we said not one hair falls from someone's head without God giving it permission. So why did God give it permission for this guy who whatever choice he made, and whatever messed up, his parents messed him up, why does that end up coming back to so many innocent people to die? And the story goes, like I said, beyond just tragic events every single day. You know, this, in this country, United States of America, every single day, 28 people are killed due to drunk driving every day. 28 people are killed, 28 innocent people who someone else's bad decision took their life. If you're doing the math at home, 28 people is every hour, one person dies due to a drunk driver. Innocent person, kid in the street. More than that, to the ladies in the room, did you know that over the course of your lifetime living in this country, one out of every six women in the United States of America will be a victim of attempted or completed rape in their lifetime? What'd they do wrong? Other than having an extra chromosome that we guys didn't have. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything to deserve it. How does God choose which ones get the bad and he works good through that bad and which ones go scot-free? 
easy thing to say is life isn't fair. Right? Life isn't fair. That's how people would say it. Why this bad thing happened? Life isn't fair. I'm okay with that if I don't believe in God. But last week, you just told me that God is the controller of all things in life. And God created life. So if life isn't fair, the person who created it is not fair. And if you tell me that life just has unfair things, and God is the one who created life to be this way, I say God is unfair. And the answer to this question, is God just? Clearly, the answer must be he's not just. He's haphazard. He's random. And sometimes the good people, good things happen. Sometimes the good people, it makes no difference. It's haphazard with God. If you're honest, you've, you've struggled with this question too. And you're not the only one. Go back through the course of history, and you see even the righteous people, even the prophets struggle with this. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 12, 1 says, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Let me make this relatable to me and you. Why is it that the cheater ends up getting promoted? Why is it the one who cheated get promoted? The one who lied on the taxes gets the big return. The girl who's the friendly girl, why is the one that she has all the attention from the guys? Why is it that those who deal treacherously always end up seem so happy? I'm honest, I don't get promoted. I'm, I'm pure, and I keep myself for my marriage day, and no one wants to come talk to me. <clears throat> Genesis 18.25. Abraham said this, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. This question hits at the core of who we are, especially in the United States of America, the land of liberty and freedom and justice for all. Like we are, our, the essence of our society is based on equal opportunity. I don't care who you steal money from as a corporation or what you do illegal, as long as you give everyone an equal opportunity to be part of your company. That's the worst crime that you can commit as an employer, is discriminating against anyone. Everyone has equal opportunity. What you do behind the scenes, we don't care. We don't care as long as you give everyone equal opportunity to be part of whatever it is that you do. If you have kids, if you have more than one of them, okay, I got two of them. It is so evident with kids. Nothing is more important than fairness. Nothing is more important than, like, the one cry that's in our household day and night is, that's not fair. That's not anything it is, is that's not fair. We told the kids there's going to be, like, you're going to read summer reading, and if you read this, reward it. So it's not enough for me to say, okay, you did a good job for reading. It has to be, no, punish him for not reading. Why? You didn't get your reward for reading. No, take away his reward for not reading. We're, we don't care if everyone, whatever happens to me, or happen, we want to make sure that there's equality and justice for all because that's who we are. My question here for today is where is fairness? Where is fairness? Where is fairness? Seems like God is not fair. Seems like God is haphazard. If God is a just God and a fair God, where is his fairness? How come I cannot see it in so many situations in life? Those who are analytical, logical, you're going to like this today because I'm going to be very analytical. And forgive me if you're, okay, if you want an emotional, I'm not going to give you that today. I'm going to give it analytical. Because this is a serious question, and when something is important, we need to answer this systematically. All right, so we're going to do this logically and analytically, which hopefully makes sense to some of you. I'm going to start with two verses in the Bible. Isaiah 45, verse 21. 
And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a savior. There's no other God beside me. God is saying, I am a just God. Hold that thought. Psalm 64, 67, verse 4. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you, God, you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Is God just or not just? Is he fair or not fair? We can't answer that question. We can't answer that question until we define what the question means. Because here's the problem. If you look in the dictionary for the word just or fair or equal or whatever it is, whatever word you want to use, the definition will always be some variation of this. Some objective standard and then the closeness to which you meet it makes you just. So for example, the standard is, let's say, um, I said the company, so 12% uh, of your employees should be minority. That's the standard, it's an objective standard. And then the degree to which you meet that standard means you're just or unjust. If you are at 8%, you are unjust. If you are at 15%, you are just. So what's the standard of fairness and then the degree to which you meet it? So can we, human beings, creation, go to God and say, God, God, who last week we saw sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And who is he who speaks and what comes to pass and the Lord is not commanded? That God, we go to that God and we say, okay, God, God, this is my standard of justice and I'm going to try to measure you against this. And you better fit this line of justice. Can we do that? Can we go to God? And we, and just so you know who we are, we are the most biased, unfair, unequal, unjust people in the universe. Because justice usually is defined by us as whatever's good for me, not whatever's good for not a, a fair standard. We're the most biased people in the world, and our standards of justice change all the time. That's why you have people can argue justice, and each of them really believes it because it's different standards. So we are going to take God and measure him by our standard? I say no. I say based on these verses that this one here says God is a just God, and God rules the people justly. I'm going to say that we cannot measure God by our standard of justice, I would say, in fact, the opposite is true. God doesn't meet our idea of justice. He is just, and we have to understand what it means that he is just. You see the difference? I can't say, God, this is justice, and do you meet it or not meet it? God says, no, 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 no. You don't judge me. I tell you I am just. And now you see how I behave, and how I behave is the just way of behaving. You don't measure my actions against your standard. You throw your standard away, and I show you my actions, and this is the definition of what just is. Does that make sense? A couple examples. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18 says this. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, be it my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, talking about Christ, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles or to the nations. He will declare justice, which means this, which means that whatever your idea of justice may be, get rid of that idea. We talked about in the beginning, throw away the picture of God that you inherited from your parents or that you got from Oprah or that you got uh, along the way from your logic. Get rid of that idea of God. That's garbage. Throw that away. Jesus is the only one who can declare to us what true justice is. He's the only one in a position to say, this is what justice really means. And your idea may be different. Should we throw away Jesus or throw away your idea? 
Who say we throw away Jesus? Very good. We throw away your idea. We don't throw away him and his behavior. Just like we saw with love and sovereignty. We have an idea. What is love? We kind of know what it means, but we don't really understand what it means. And we saw that when we saw God's love. And what does it mean when God is in control? We kind of understood what it means. No, last week we really understood that we didn't know nothing about it. Same thing today. I tell you God is just. You say, okay. And that means most of the time. No, 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 no. Not most of the time. That means everything God does. Everything God says. Every action that God and every consequence is totally just and totally fair. How can I say that? Here's a picture of God's justice through history. This timeline represents all of the history of the universe from eternity to eternity. That's why, like I said, the math people, that's why the arrows. Okay, goes on forever and forever. And eternity existed, obviously that's what eternity means, from forever before infinity, and it will continue on through infinity. Now in the time, in the course of history, there is a unique period of time in which we are living right now where something unique happened and it, and it set off a set of, of actions that, that created this unique era. And basically, if we read in the Bible, you go to Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth and everything therein. And God created man and woman. Everything was good. And then in Genesis chapter 3, something happened. God's creation said, he told him, don't eat this. Man ate that. And as soon as man ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, something happened. Now forget about what happened. We don't want to talk about necessarily, we won't get into that right now. But something happened in the world. Evil entered the world. Sin entered the world. Everything that was before then got altered. Something changed. And that period of history continue, 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 continue until the second coming of Christ when he will come to judge the living and the dead. And this period of history will end. And you can read about that in like the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 20. So we're going to take Genesis chapter 3, fall of man, second coming, Revelation 20, and we're going to say in this period, leave this unique period of time aside. Outside of this period, there is no question about the justice of God. Outside of this period, there's no question. Everything God does is just. Everything God does is fair. No one questions his fairness. No one questions anything. God reigns supreme, and everything is perfect, 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 perfect. However, during this course of time, some things are a little bit different. Now, how far, how long, how would you represent that course of time from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 on this, on this diagram right here? If this is history, eternity to eternity, how big would that period of time be? You see it? Can you see it? That's not drawn to scale. That's actually much bigger. That's 100 times more than what it should be. From eternity to eternity... No one questions God's fairness. No one. But there's a little brief period of, period of time in which we live in right now where things are unsettled. Things aren't as they should be or as they are going to be. Because during this time, man messed up and man should be judged. Like if you want to go fairness, man, as soon as man fell, should have been judged right away. But God, as we read about in John chapter 3, loved man so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world not to judge the world or condemn the world, but to save the world. So God said, okay, judgment now, but let's just, just take a brief moment of time. Just a brief moment. Just a tiny little period. A little hiccup in course of history. Let me go and see if I can fix the situation. And it's going to end where whatever happens, happened, and the people accepted it, it accepted. Like it, it's going to end. But let's see during this brief little period of time 
if we can make a difference in how the course is going to end. Before the dot, perfect justice. After the dot, perfect justice. It's just during this one little dot of time that as we see here, things aren't just, but if we are going to be fair in order to see justice, we got to wait till the end. Like if we're going to be fair, like right now we're talking about fairness, right? We're talking about fairness and we want God to be fair. Okay, well, you be fair. How can you judge God before you've seen the end of the story? I'll give you an example. When you're two kids at home alone, like let's say when we were kids, we're at home and parents not home. So what we do as kids, we fight. Okay, and fight, fight, fight. That's what kids do is they fight. And one kid, let's say, is beating the other kid. All right, and he stole his cookies and he tied his shoes on the telephone pole or whatever it may be. And you look at that situation and you say, that's not fair. That's not fair. One kid is treating the other kid unfairly. That's not fair. Well, I say, hold on. Once it hits 5 o'clock, daddy's coming home. And once daddy comes home, then you judge if there's fairness. Like, it's not fair to judge me as the dad as being unfair. If I'm not home yet, I'm on my way home and they're fighting. One kid is beating another kid. It's not fair to say, well, daddy didn't do justice. Wait till daddy walks into the room and then see if there's justice because there'll be justice. And I'm telling you in this world that we live in right now, absolutely, there are times where the wicked do prosper. And there are times where those who deal treacherously are more happy. And there are times where sin does pay off. But I'm telling you, the daddy's going to walk in the house one day. And when daddy walks in, everything changes. And daddy walks in. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. Saying, yeah, God said he will judge and God will judge. Don't Make no mistake about it. God has not just uh, uh, forgot his promise or forgot what he said. No, he's going to. However, during this period of time, this little blip on the map, God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lawyers. Lawyers are those who watch lawyer movies like myself. A man commits a crime, steals all this man's money. And this poor guy, no justice, no justice, no justice. Okay, wait a minute. There's something called a trial. But once we get to the trial, I have no doubt that this thief is going to be said he's guilty and he's going to go to jail for a long, long time. So because I am a loving judge, not a judge judge, I'm a loving judge. I go to the man and I say, look, trial's going to start next week. Let's do a plea bargain. You're guilty. Say I'm guilty and admit and return and we make this all right. And he could say yes or no. That's his choice. But once the trial starts, there is no plea bargain. There's only justice. Now we live in a time of plea bargaining. This era that we live in is plea bargaining. Where man sinned and God said, the angel said, just judge him and get the show on the road. And God said, let me try one more time. And God comes to each one of us and says, you're going to be found guilty. This is not, trial's not going to go good for you. You say you're guilty or not guilty. The one who says not guilty says, I'll take my chances on trial. Good luck to you, man. Is that fair or not fair? Is that fair of the judge or not fair? I say this. I say it's fair as long as each one gets that opportunity. 
and there's not one person on the planet who doesn't have the opportunity to make the plea bargain, to say, I am guilty, I repent, I have sinned, forgive me, God, save me, God. I, I throw myself at the mercy of the court and say, I got no, I got no, like, standing on my own. I am guilty. I got caught with my hand in both cookie jars at the same time. I'm guilty. And as long as God offers the plea, uh, plea bargain opportunity to every single person on the planet, which he does, doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done or how bad it may be, God offers that plea bargain. As long as he offers it to everyone, you can't say he's not fair. Some of us don't like that. Some of us say, no, judgment now. Judgment now. And I say, you know what? If you want judgment now, okay, we do judgment now. Why don't we start with you? Why don't you be the first one to take judgment? Since you insist you're Captain Justice, you want to be Captain Justice? Okay, no problem. Justice for all. You come first. And you are going to now get the, all the consequences of your sins and your action, all the lies you told, and all the times that you cheated, and all the times you spoke about someone behind their back. And you will receive the consequence of every one of those actions. Because you, who want consequences for others, you want fairness? You want fairness? Okay, come. Fairness is you go first. I love this verse from Psalm 97, verse 1 and 2. It talks about God's justice. And it draws a nice picture for us about what God's justice looks like. It says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. We know two things about God's justice from this verse. We know, number one, there are clouds and darkness around it. What does that mean? What does that convey? What picture? Clouds, you see a throne of justice. That's the foundation of his throne. But you see clouds and darkness around it. What does that imply? mystery like something you don't fully get and that's god's justice in this world is that it's there but we don't we don't always see it we don't always understand how is that just how is that fair but we know for certain the second fact that the foundation of his throne is justice that god sits on a throne and it's called something something called justice and just because you can't see it just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not there in this life there'll be a lot of things that don't seem fair There'll be a lot of things that seem like the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering unfairly. There'll be a lot of times where Edwin, the good guy, gets killed and the cheater, liar, scumbag gets away scot-free. There'll be a lot of times where it seems, it seems that God is not fair. But I bet you when you get to the end of the story, I bet you when you read not chapter 5, but when you read the last chapter in the book, that you close that book and you say, truly, God is fair and God is just. What's the key component when we say we want justice for all? What are we implying that we want for those who basically are not us? Justice requires something. And that something is retribution. Like when we say that we want justice upon this person, what we mean is we want there to be a consequence. We want they did A, so A should lead to B. And we like that concept. We like it <clears throat> that if we do good deeds, there are good consequences. And if we do bad deeds, there are bad consequences. We like it that way. And we like it to say, I went to church. I should be blessed. That person cut me off. They should be cursed. We like this. Good leads to good. Bad leads to bad. We like retribution. Does God believe in retribution? Does God believe in retribution? Yes or no? Absolutely he does. Absolutely he does. Or else he would be not just. 
It has to be consequences. It has to be retribution. Some of you perked up right there. You thought I was just going to tell you a nice lovey-dovey, all that stuff. No, there's consequences with God. Absolutely there is. Or else we're living in a fairy tale land if there isn't. Psalm 125, verse 3, and 3 through 5. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. See what King David is saying right there? The scepter of the wicked will not remain. It doesn't mean that it won't be like the wicked will rule for a time, but it will not remain over that land. Because if it was, then the righteous would do evil as well, if, 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 if that's the end result, if there's no consequences. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. Consequences, retribution. To those who are good, do good. And to those who are upright in heart. But the Lord will turn to crooked ways. I'm sorry, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. God absolutely gives consequences. And absolutely, there are, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But his consequences look a little bit different than ours. His way of thinking. Look what it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It says, but you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, for there is no partiality with God. The Bible says that God gives each one according to their deeds. God gives each one according to their deeds. To those who are, the passage before that is talking about how they're living in sin, you're treasuring up wrath. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought God is love. I thought God is unconditional love. And I thought there's nothing that I could do to make God stop loving me. If that's the case, let me ask you. Does God really give each one according to their deeds? Like, let's take the example, the classic example. When Jesus died on the cross, there was two thieves next to him. And on the right side of him was a thief who was a murderer and a crook. And a, and, a, and, a, and a villain by every stretch of the imagination. And somehow that crook said two words. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that guy went up to heaven. So did God give him according to his deeds? Who say God does not give us according to our deeds? Who say God does give us according to our deeds? No one say it. You know who says God gives according to our deeds? St. Paul said God gives us according to our deeds. Yeah, am I speaking Spanish here? <laughs> Does God render to each according to their deeds? Yeah. This is what I'm trying to say. This is an important concept. Okay, I'll get back to important concept. What we do is we create a picture that we like, and then we make the Bible fit it. Don't do that. We said in the beginning of the series, we take our picture of God, we throw it out the window. And we're going to go to God and say, what do you look like? He says, I give each one according to their deeds. And we say, but that's not as nice a picture. I like the picture of... And that's what we do, because we like it. I'm telling you, the right-hand thief got exactly what he deserved. And God judged him according to his deeds. Why? He did murder. He did lying. He did stealing. He did, he did, he did, he did. But he did something else. What did he do? He repented. Actually, I didn't draw that picture right. He lied. He steal, stole, killed. He, he, whatever. And then he repented. Is repentance a deed? Yes. Will God render to each one according to their deed, including the deed of repentance? Absolutely. That's why, like, forgive me, be honest here. We don't mess around when we talk about repentance. We don't mess around when we talk about repentance. Repentance is not something, yeah, it's not, no, 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 no. Repentance is the most important deed in the universe. 
And if you don't do it, if he didn't do this deed of repentance, he'd have faced all these deeds. You see how beautiful repentance is? It's one deed. It took him one minute, but it was a sincere deed. And it was a sincere heart repentance. It outweighed murder and stealing and all the other kind of yucky stuff that he had done. Without this repentance, it's you and your sin. But when this repentance comes in, we don't mess around when we talk about repentance. We don't take repentance lightly. We don't say, well, I need to repent someday. Okay, I'll get to it. We don't mess around with that stuff because it is the most important deed that you will ever do. And as we saw with the right-hand thief, and we see with people throughout history, that when this one deed is done, God looks at this deed as the most valuable deed in the whole wide universe, and he will judge us according to our deeds. What repentance is, is a mystery that I don't know how. Don't ask me to explain it. I'll just say it. I don't ask me to explain it. What repentance is, is when Jesus was up on the cross and he was dying. And he was nailed to that cross. The Bible says that when we repent, what it does is a mysterious act which takes my sin and it takes it and it nails it up on the cross of Christ. How? I don't know. Time travel? No, not kind of a weird way like that. Something? No. Don't, don't, don't try to explain it because it's darkness and clouds all around. Can't explain it. But I know when I'm in my room and I repented that somehow I travel back in time and I'm at the foot of the cross of Christ. And my cross, or my sin, is taken and is nailed up there on that cross. And it's done away with. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, after, after, like at the very end, he said the famous sentence, he said, it is finished. Right? When he hung up on the cross, he said, it is finished. And if you look at that word, it is finished, in the Aramaic, it's one word, which literally, like if you take the origin of that word, it's the word that was used, someone would go to jail. So let's say I would go to uh, let's say I would, I would steal something, all right, and I would go to jail. So I would get a sentence. I get a piece of paper that says, Father Anthony, uh, thief, uh, 10 years in jail, whatever it may be. And I take that piece of paper, and I go to jail, and I give it to them. And then I go sit in my jail cell for 10 years. And then on the 10-year mark, I go outside. They give me back my paper, and they stamp it with a word. And that word is, it is finished. So now I come to you and say, hey, I want to work here. And you say, no, you're a criminal. You go to jail. I say, nope, it is finished. You can't judge me anymore. I paid my time. It is finished. And someone says, hey, call the cops, him. Nope, I have a piece of paper stamped. says, it is finished. You cannot judge me for that anymore. That's exactly what happens with each one of us when we repent. And we repent of a sin, and someone comes and says, but you should be guilty because you did this before. And you say, nope, it is finished. I can no longer be judged for that because I repented about that. And I repented a sincere repentance, and God will not judge me anymore. And anyone who accuses me, as the Bible says that the devil is the accuser, and people around us will accuse, say, he's bad, he did this. You hold up that piece of paper. And you say, no. He says, it is finished. But that's only for the one who repents. That's why when someone says, how does mercy and love fit in with justice? Easy. I'll, let me draw you a picture. Take me two lines. How does mercy and love fit in with justice? Easy. Draw a line like this, then draw a line like this. And that's where mercy and love intersect with justice. Because it's at the cross of Christ where we see justice and mercy at the same time. A couple verses. I'll go through these quickly. All right. Jesus, or St. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, 
God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be, watch this, this is a great verse, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is just and the justifier. He is just, meaning that he says, according to your deeds, must be done. But he is the justifier because he comes and says, just, tell, just repent, make this deal, and I'll stand before the judge for you. See how he is the judge as well as the lawyer. See how he is? He's the judge, he's the just, and he's also the lawyer. Let me do it again. He's the judge, and then he is the lawyer, the advocate for us. That's because he's the just and the justifier. That's where justice and mercy meet in. Justice, mercy. Another verse, Psalm 85, verse 11. It says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus, the Christ, the Logos, this is who he is. He is mercy and truth meeting together in one person. And outside of this person, there is neither mercy nor truth. But inside this person, for those who repent and believe and live in Christ, they find themselves in the middle of mercy and truth. Practical. Three very practical things. I'm going to go through them real quick. We can't just listen and then just say theoretical. It has to be something practical. I want to say three practical things. Now that you hopefully have a slightly better understanding of the justice of God, how should we respond? And let's agree that if your response is nothing, that's not good. If I give you a very big gift and you respond with nothing, that response says a lot more than any, than any gift you'd give back. You agree? I give you, I give my wife a ring and she, that silence speaks volumes, okay? So God presents us with mercy and love and we, doesn't work. Has to be a response. Three things real quick. Number one, the glaring one, repent. And, and I'm going to say it quickly, but bottom line is the lawyer comes to you and says, plea bargain, now is your chance. The trial is going to happen. Now is the time to make the plea bargain. And you stand up and say, no, I think I can do this on my own. I don't want to be your lawyer. Make no mistake about it. Retribution is coming. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 says, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. I'm not want to dwell on it. I'm going to say it very simple. The Bible says that every single, every single deed we do, every single deed we do will be revealed and will be rendered according to our deeds. How y'all feel about that? That's a nice, pleasant verse for this nice Sunday afternoon, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you this. That's a scary verse, but that's also a comforting verse. You know why? Because it doesn't just say that God will judge every deed. You know what it says? It says God will judge every deed. And I'm going to insert judge, get rid of that word, and I'm going to say reward every deed. Because that's what, that's what fairness is. It's not just punishing the misdeeds. It's rewarding the honorable deeds. And I'll show you another verse from Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, to show you how God judges and renders to each according to their deeds. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Because I am a just God. And I tell you, do the smallest, littlest thing. 
the piddliest, piddliest little act of kindness and love. A cup of cold water you get for free from any one of these places. They won't give you anything for free, but they give you a cup of cold water for free. But you get that, and I promise you, you will by no means lose your reward. So God renders to each according to their deeds, but God renders to each according to their deeds. And to those who are prepared for the exam, but those who are prepared or who are not prepared, that rendering is negative. For those who are prepared, that rendering is celebration. Bottom line is, what I want to tell you with this repent one is don't mess around with repentance. We are not going to get our eyes focused on right here and right now. We're going to lift up our eyes and we know that there's an end coming to this little blip of history. And we are going to stand on trial before the judge. And we are going to make sure that we are prepared. We're not messing around with repentance. One, repent. Number two, refuse to seek revenge. Refuse to seek revenge. God is just. Leave him to do the justice. Don't take it upon yourself and go vigilante justice. So many people today live with bitterness, anger, resentment inside because they feel it is their duty to provide justice upon those who have wronged them. And I'm telling you, you're only hurting yourself. James chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are you to judge another? Let me put this in some modern day language for you, the Father Anthony version of this verse. There's one lawgiver and it ain't you. So have a self seat and let the judge do his judging and you do your plea bargaining because that's where you belong. It's not on the judgment seat, but is in the defense seat or, the, or whatever it may be. And how are you supposed to behave? Romans chapter 12 verse 17 says this, repay no one evil for evil. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Simple, simple, simple. Let God, two options. You can judge, or God can judge, but it can't be both. You can get retribution and fight for your rights, or you can let God do it. I promise you, God will always do a better job. Like you want something on your enemy, you really want some business on your enemy, best thing you do, Leave them alone. Let it be in God's hands. I promise you, God will always do a better job and you'll live more at peace. We repay no one evil for evil, but we repay evil with good. How do you repay evil with good? One more verse right here. This is what it says about Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. It says, Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. This is what you do. That person wrongs you and you want to judge them. But then you say, I can't judge them because in fairness, I'd have to judge myself. So you know what, God? I'm going to leave it in your hands. I commit myself to him who judges righteously. And you deal with that person however you want. And if you want to send them, you know, in, uh, uh, to California, please do. And if you want to keep going in the ocean, that's even better. Okay? But I leave it in your hands. And I trust that you will do righteously. And I commend myself into your hands. That's how we overcome evil with good. So number one, we repent. We don't mess around with repentance. Number two, we refuse to seek revenge. And number three, we take a deep breath and we relax. We relax in God's justice. Knowing that, as I said last week, that God is in control of the universe. And no one, no one, no one, no one, no one sneezes on you. No one sneezes on you without God being in control of that sneeze. No one touches you without God being in control. We are not going to fight for every little thing in justice and fairness. We are going to commend ourselves to him who judges righteously. We're going to walk around, and you know what? Someone hit my car. So be it. It ain't the end of the world. God will smash their car to pieces for all. I don't know what's going to happen. I leave it. 
I will not fight for my, my rights, whatever it may be. I didn't get that promotion. Yeah, that stinks. But I trust that God is just and God sees and will reward me according to my deeds. And if God decided there's a better way to reward me, then I trust in you, God. I will not fight for my rights. I will take a deep breath and I will chill out whenever I feel that someone is ripping me off or stealing from me. Psalm 73, a man named Asaph said the following. He said, truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He's talking about a time where I know God is good, but there was a time that I struggled with this. Because why? For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph, who was a good guy, said, I struggled with this because I saw the cheaters prospering. And I saw the bad people, good stuff. And I saw the good people, bad stuff. So I struggled with this. He said, behold, those who are ungodly, who are always at ease, they increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Saying, I struggled with this. But then he goes on, the rest of the psalm, I just got some snippets here, but the whole thing says it. <clears throat> when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And after that, he says, I'm good now. He says, I was bitter, I was angry, how could they? They got away with this, those no good scumbags. Then I went into the sanctuary of God, and God said, relax. You're the ruler of the universe, or I'm the ruler of the universe? You're going to be the judge, or I'm going to be the judge? If you want to be the judge, then you better start living a certain way, because the judge has to judge himself first. He said, relax. Then I understood that God is in control. I remember there was one time <clears throat> I, used to, I used to be the headmaster of, a, of the a Good Shepherd school out in Fairfax. And uh, some, sometime early on in, in, in the school's history, there was a teacher who there was some kind of whatever. All right? We had some tough interactions or whatever it may be. And anyway, she ended up leaving in the middle of the year. And as she was leaving, all right, she, like, you know, it, it got kind of confrontational. And, you know, pack up your stuff and go. And then she started taking stuff out the room. And I'm sitting in my office, and I, you know, give her a space, like it's kind of awkward already. And some of the other teachers came and said, she's taking stuff that's not hers. It belongs to the school, and I belong to the school, and I belong to the school. And I get all upset, and I said, you know what? I said, relax. Who's that stuff belong to? Does it belong to you? Belong to me? Who's it belong to? I said, it, belong, it belongs to God. It's God's school, right? Like it's property of the, it's God's, right? You think someone can steal from God? You think you can pull a fast one on God? You can say, yeah, you know, I'm gonna take this. You think someone's going to walk out of there with something that belonged to God, not them, and they're going to prosper? Man, leave them. More, I'd say back away from them, especially if they drive off. <laughs> you can't steal from God. You can't take anything from God's people. And God is just. And yeah, there is a brief period of time in which we live right now where you may not see justice. But I promise you, you get to the final chapter in the story, no one's going to get to that final chapter and have any complaints. God is just. We do, not just by our standards. We throw our standards away. He is the standard. He is just. One last question. Is God ever unfair? Can we say that God is ever unfair? I racked my brain. Didn't take very long and I said, you know what? I thought of one example where God is unfair. One example. Only one. The one example where I thought of and I said, aha, I got you. You are unfair. 
Every Sunday, I stand up here in front of the altar of God. All right? And I say, and we all say together, that he took bread. He said, this is my body, which is given for you for the remission of sins. And he said, this is my blood, which is given for remission of sins. And he, pure, holy, righteous, deserving nothing, died so that I, do the opposite of all these other words, filthy, lying, cheating, stealing, could live. Is that fair? Is that fair? Anytime you start to think, God, you're unfair, and you go to Romans 5.8, and you're 100% right, because he is 100% unfair. And he's 100% unfair because he says this, that God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is 100% unfair. And I, and I agree. All of us today, we have to go home and complain about this unfairness. And we need to go home and say, God, we understand you are unfair. And we don't deserve anything that you've given to us. You created me. You blessed me. You saved me. You fed me. You took care of me. And what did I do to deserve any of this? Everything that you did for me was undeserved. And that isn't fair. And today, I want to start understanding that and living a different way. What I hope is that now we're wrap up this series, okay, and we have our enlarged music team that's coming up here, okay. We can invite our music team to come on up here, but it looks like they expanded, okay, and shrunk at the same time. <laughs> this is a surprise to me. I have no idea what's happening here. They told me this is what I get for always changing the plans on them at the last minute. They decided to change the plans on me. So I don't know what's happening here, okay, but our series is wrapping up. And I hope that we've learned a little bit more about who God truly is. Okay, follow up, Ms. Dean. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, that's good. This will be interesting. <laughs> I hope we learned a little bit more about who God is and who he wants, uh, like how he wants us to view him and view ourselves in light of who he is. All right? We're going to stand up together. We're going to sing a song. Okay? And then we'll see what happens after that. Okay, let's stand up together.
Let's say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you that you call us your children. And after everything that we heard today and heard these past few weeks, we know that we are truly indebted for all of eternity. Help us, Lord, to understand your fatherhood more and more every day, to understand who we are in your eyes, and to live that way as you meant us to live. No more weakness, no more sadness, no more guilt, no more shame, no more none of that stuff that the devil's always trying to get us to live weak and pathetic lives. We want to live like your children in power and strength and knowing who you are every single day. We pray this in the name of your son with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just a quick announcement for those who are coming for the Next Steps luncheon.